welcome to the Evoke Ag podcast, the show where we take a look at the ag tech and food innovations changing the future of farming. Hello and welcome to the Evoke Ag podcast. I'm your host, Steve Honor. In this episode, we look at impact investing, a burgeoning sector that's caught the attention of global investors with a whopping $20 billion market in Australia alone. The asset pool has risen 250% in the last two years and is trending upward. Seizing the value of this ever-growing capital is exciting but often misunderstood. So what does impact investing really mean for the future of food? How is it different from other forms of investment? And where should startups channel their energy to cash in on this capital? Today, we're joined by a group of industry heavyweights who got together to break down the basics, including Michael Dean, the founding partner of AgFunder, Sarah Nolet, co-founder of Tenacious Ventures and the host of the popular podcast, Ag Tech So What, Rachel Yang, investment manager of Giant Leap, and Kylie Fraser, co-founder of Eleanor Venture, who facilitated this valuable conversation. So without further delay, please enjoy this discussion. Welcome to Evoke Ag, where we connect the global agri-food tech community. I'm Kylie Fraser, founder of Eleanor Venture. Today, we're talking about impact investing, and joining me to discuss is Sarah Nollett from Tenacious Ventures, and feeding in on Zoom is Rachel Yang from Giant Leap, and Ag Funders, Michael Dean. Welcome to you all. So let's get started. Rachel, Giant Leap has been one of the pioneers of impact investing since its inception. Can you just talk us through exactly what is impact investing and how it differs from other forms of investing? Thanks, Kylie. So uh, impact investing is really uh, investing in assets with the intention to generate a positive social or environmental impact alongside financial return. So not trading off one for the other and looking at a way to have both. And the definition does vary depending on the investors in terms of what type of financial return they look for. But from the giant leap perspective, we ensure that they're blended, so impact and financial return. So we're looking for the same returns as traditional VCs. That's really helpful. I know that one of the things that we get asked at Eleanor Venture a lot is, is impact investing a form of philanthropy? And it's really important to understand that this is not philanthropy. We are all here to make money. How much is up to each of us? Um, Perhaps, Rachel, you can just talk us through a few of the portfolio companies that you have so our viewers can understand some of the companies that are suitable for impact investing. Sure. So I might use Goterra as an example, um, as we've invested alongside Tenacious Ventures as well, which is really exciting. Um, So Goterra is a business that breeds black soldier flies to consume organic waste, uh, effectively a waste management business, um, and the maggots themselves get turned into livestock feed. So it's a closed-loop solution to managing waste. And the impact there is really tonnes of organic waste diverted from landfill. So that's one, one example. And then, you know, I guess the, the beauty of impact investing is it's a lens and not an asset class. And so the types of investments can be very varied. From the giant leap perspective, that's one example. But then we also have um, an investment called Perks and they are a digital health um, platform that gamifies the process of taking a medication and treatment adherence 
And so they, they can be quite different in the way that people look at investments from an impact investor perspective. Fantastic. So, Sarah, I hear Tenacious Ventures was one of the investors in GoTerra as well. Congratulations. Thanks. What excited you about GoTerra? Yeah, it's, I mean, we, we at Tenacious think about a combination of the opportunity and the founder and the business model insight that they bring. So with GoTerra, we were really excited about the kind of nuanced understanding of how a biological process could help to solve a really big problem and how technology could enable that. And that wasn't obvious from the outset. And bringing those things together unlocks big value for the clients of GoTerra and big impact. And so it really ticked all of the boxes for us with opportunity, company, team, business model, and impact. The way I guess we think about impact is helping agriculture transition to carbon neutral and climate change resilient future. And GoTerra is squarely in the middle of that, as Rachel said, with diverting tons of organic waste from landfill and the emissions that are saved in, in doing so. So GoTerra is one of those great examples that's achieving the impact while delivering the financial returns. Yeah, and, and that's actually one of our filters. So when we look at investing in a company, if achieving impact would be at odds with achieving returns, then we say impact isn't baked into their DNA. And so it doesn't f pass our, our filter because we would never want to end up with a situation where the impact is coming uh, at expense of the returns or, or vice versa. We really want those things to be aligned as the company grows. That's interesting. I think, Rachel, Giant Leap has a similar units of progress uh, requirement for their impact investments too. Can you just talk us through what that means? Yeah, absolutely. We have a similar uh, notion of, of impact being embedded in the business model. So ensuring that it can't be stripped out when times get tough um, and that it's not necessarily a kind of donation approach where, where uh, some businesses and some impact investors view it to be uh, investing in businesses that can donate a proportion of profits. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not our thesis. Fantastic. Michael, your work at AgFunder has been amazing for the agricultural sector. How do you see the, um, the impact of impact investing? What do you see as being the correlation between impact investing and the agricultural sector more broadly? When you think agriculture globally contributes uh, about a quarter of greenhouse gas emissions, there's clearly a big market there and uh, obviously a, a big problem we've got to fix. If you look at the, um, the IPCC's uh, goal of uh, limiting um, uh, global warming to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels, there's a lot we've got to do to be able to, to achieve that. I think the, um, the current thinking is we've got to get emissions down to 45% of um, 2010 emission levels, uh, sorry, uh, emission levels by, uh, by 2030. So, uh, yeah, there's an awful lot we have to do. Uh, and that sort of feeds into our thesis, you know, um, everything from robotics through to marketplaces for smallholder farmers that give access to uh, better quality seeds that are going to allow them to use less fertiliser, um, of course, you know, um, on the robotic side, electric uh, vehicles are, are removing emissions from, um, from the system. Uh, vertical farming, which is becoming sort of um, coming into its own in many ways, uh, particularly in markets in Asia where we're looking at, you know, much more urbanisation, um, smart city type approaches where you're looking for circular economies where nothing's leaving the site, uh, water is being recycled. 
um, you know, plastics in packaging, plastics in, uh, in used in agriculture. Um, there's there's plant-based versions of those now. Of course, uh, alternative proteins as well, uh, 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 vegan-based meats uh, that are coming into the market and taking animal agriculture out of the system um, to a degree, and certainly um, cutting emissions from, uh, from from animal agriculture. So, you know, right across the food supply chain, there is there is um, opportunities to be impactful, and that that's really exciting for us. And because agriculture is such a big market. Uh, coming back to this idea about um, returns being as important as the impact, um, I, I fully subscribe to that view. Investors aren't going to come to our space unless we're returning um, venture-type returns to them. So it's really, really important when we invest in a company that we've got an idea that it's going to be, you know, it's swinging for the fences, it's going to be a really big deal. Uh, if we if we can help it out and get it there. 100%. And you can see, I think, from Michael's answer, just how many opportunities there are within impact and ag tech more broadly. Rachel, can you just talk us through some of the trends that are happening or that, that you see occurring in impact investing? I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of how much capital is being deployed um, and how investors that are um, inclined towards impact investing, how they're thinking about the asset class. Sure. So impact investment is definitely a growing sector. Um, there's a report each year produced by the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia, otherwise known as RIA. And I think they found in at the end of last year we had something like $20 billion in assets um, in, in impact specifically. And so it's a huge area which is continuing to grow. I think over the last two years it's around 250% growth. Um, so I think increasingly as we're seeing social environmental problems become more um highlighted through things like the bushfires and the pandemic that we're going through. Um, it just shows how pressing the social environmental problems um, are that we have and that we need to find solutions. And the quickest way to do that is to foster innovation for investment in startups. Fantastic. It sounds like there's an increasing amount of capital available for startups to access, which is really exciting. Sarah, what's the best way for those startups to try and get some of that? Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, if you're an entrepreneur that is building a company because you believe so much in the mission and the impact that you can have, it's really tempting to pitch about or explain about this big macro environmental or social problem that you're solving. And you for sure want to do that. We as investors look for that passion and the real get up out of bed every day drive to solve that problem. You also need to explain how you're going to do it. We, we see pitches, unfortunately, probably too frequently that have all of the passion and the big problem, but not enough clarity on how they're actually going to solve it. And so it's much more about finding that right balance of the business model and the technology and the team that are going to tackle that problem and telling that story without losing the passion, uh, because both are really important. I, I would say, too, on Rachel's point that just like we're seeing more capital come into this space, we're seeing more talent and founders and people from outside of agriculture come into agri-food innovation. Perhaps it's because in, in the COVID world, we've all experienced the shock of going to the supermarket and not having something we wanted be there or thinking about, you know, existential questions that we might not otherwise have thought of. But we're seeing at least um, here in Australia and especially in the last six to nine months, 
talent from other industries, founders from other spaces looking to agri-food to invest or start companies because these problems are really big and pressing and have an impact on our world. And technology and innovation is a great path to solve them. So it's a really exciting time to be in this space, even if you didn't you know, grow up on a farm or, or come from this industry. How do people that don't have a background in farming or agriculture really feel confident that they understand the problem that they're trying to solve? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I didn't grow up on a farm and um, often struggle with that myself of, you know, do I really understand the, the industry or do I have the credibility? And it, you know, it takes work, it takes time, it takes conversations, but entrepreneurs are, are really the ones that are going to do that. They're out there having those conversations, building those networks and really asking those questions um, because you might not understand the space at first, but if you're willing to put in the time to ask the questions, to do the research, to do the homework, then there's no reason you can't get up to speed on that space and you know climb on the shoulders of giants, so to speak. Others have probably gone before you and, and made mistakes. And one thing that's great about agri-food and especially the community in Australia, is people are willing to help and willing to have that chat and, and give the advice or that hard lesson learned so that maybe you don't have to make the same mistake again. So yeah, building those networks, asking those questions um, and, and getting out there, talking to farmers, understanding the users. The more time we spend in, in the labs and working on the technologies, probably the, the less we're going to know about the problems in the business models. And so really getting out there uh, where it's actually happening is, is absolutely critical. So it's, it's, it's almost the same as a software company that has to be completely obsessed with their customers. It's the same approach. Yeah, there's really no difference in, in agri-food and with an impact lens even more so, understanding what's actually going to work and get that adoption. Because if you don't have customers, then you can't have the impact that your business has set out to have. And to get customers, you really need to be solving their problem and, and speak their language. And that takes living and breathing their world and, and getting out and experiencing it firsthand. Fantastic. Michael, perhaps you could give us a story from one of your portfolio companies of, of a founder who was just obsessed with their end user. I'd like to think that's all of them, but um, there's, there's, there's been a few. I mean, I, I totally agree with what Sarah's saying. It's, it's, it's super crucial to to understand who your customer is and, and what problems they're facing and, and, and be really, really drilling in on that. Um, we see so many sort of nice-to-haves and not many sort of must-haves, and that's that's really what's going to make a business big. But um, yeah, pretty much all of our our, um, our, uh, our founders are, are, are really, really, um, you know, super passionate about what they're doing. One, one, of, one of them, um, Kenny Ewan at, at We Farm. We Farm is a, a marketplace uh, based in East Africa, and they really started We uh, We Farm as a um, an information service for, for smallholder farmers. And the idea was that smallholders could use their their app. Um, you know, ubiquitous smartphone. They originally started with sort of the, the normal 3G where people were, were texting messages to one another, but that's sort of translated now um, with smartphones coming on. But they really sort of wanted to understand exactly what was happening in their market in Africa. So we're talking Tanzania, Kenya um, as, as their two foundation markets. And, and the idea was that farmers who uh, experiencing the same problems in different different places weren't really getting the advice they needed. There's no agronomists on the ground there, obviously, and um, advice is passed down through generations. Quite often, bad advice, and and you know we we sort of get stuck in this this loop of, of, of poor yields, 
And so they just had this idea that they would hit the ground, they would start talking to people and really try and understand what they needed. And that was what they came up with, was this social media platform to um, basically talk to one another. And farmers started posting problems and taking photographs and, and then others would, would start to engage. Uh, fast forward a couple of years and now they've got over 2 million uh, active users and they've introduced a, a proper market marketplace where farmers are able to um, purchase inputs, uh, even, even household goods actually, from uh, a local trader that, that signed up to the platform. And that's really sort of um, it just accelerated um, crop yields, accelerated um, wealth in, in the market because people are able to get access to better quality seed, better quality fertiliser, they're able to connect with people who can help them sell their produce. Um, they can buy better quality uh, household goods even. So uh, their lives are better in many ways. So that was, you know, that was an example of someone who really sort of spent the time trying to drill in on what exactly what was needed in the market, what was going to be useful, and what was really going to drive um, impact uh, in the markets in which they were operating. Sarah, I remember a couple of years ago, you got me really excited about investing in ag tech in Australia in particular, because some of the unique advantages that we have. Can you talk us through some of those? Yeah, sure. So Australian agriculture is is where I'd start. So we've got a number of different climatic zones. We produce pretty much anything that you can produce in the world in, in different areas in Australia. We have really innovative farmers. It's the second least subsidized industry in the world. So farmers are really keen adopters of technology, which is great for ag tech startups. And we're in the Southern Hemisphere in an English-speaking country that's close to Asia, which means we're a great trial partner for Northern Hemisphere companies. And we have that great market access and trade partnerships into Asia. So from the agriculture side, it's a really great opportunity. And then from the ag uh, innovation side, we've had a history of really strong agricultural research through the research and development corporations. And where we've struggled in the past is on commercialization. And what's been great in the past few years is events like Evoke Ag and the ag tech ecosystem have started to grow and mature, helping to bring those research opportunities to market. And that's really the opportunity that we saw with Tenacious Ventures was the time for a dedicated fund to bring together that capital and interest and really have an impact on that commercialization front to realize the opportunity for Australia. And so we're really proud to be playing in that space bringing that ag side with that innovation side together and, and investing for impact. Yeah, it's fantastic. You say capital and interest, but I think you're actually missing out expertise because what you bring to the ag tech sector is really exciting and we're all very lucky to have you. Thanks, Kylie. <laughs> Rachel, for any other people that are watching who are excited about getting started investing in impact and ag, can you talk us through what are some good options for getting started in investing? Sure. Well, the first thing that I recommend is that people understand what impact means to them. So impact is a lens and not an asset class. And so really understanding what degree of social or environmental impact they're looking for is a starting point. And then reaching out if they're looking for invest investments in startups, there are a range of angel networks, for example, Eleanor Venture and the Impact Angel Network, which is out of the Impact Investment Group. And then there are venture capital funds and, and broader funds as well. So um, Giant Leap will be looking to raise another fund. Um, Ag Funder, I believe, has a, a fund as well. Um, and there's Tenacious Ventures that has you know, their fund too. So there are a range of funds out there that invest in ag tech startups. Thanks for listening to the Evoke Ag podcast, which is proudly brought to you by AgriFutures. For further information, head to our website, evokeag.com 
or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great day.